Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquina on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Today's scripture reading is taken from the book of John, chapter 8, verses 2 through 11. Early in the morning, he went back into the temple courts. All the people came to him, and he sat down to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees, however, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before him and said, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him, in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and began to write on the ground with his finger. When they continued to question him, he straightened up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at it. And again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard this, they began to go away one by one, beginning with the older ones, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. Then Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and sin no more. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we're going to talk about supernatural creative solutions. Now in life there are times of order and there are times of chaos. And the, the wise man of the Bible says, to everything there's a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. You've probably heard the song by the birds. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Amen? Amen? That's life. And in other words, life has cycles of solution and dissolution. That's only natural. That's the natural way of life. But Jesus did not call you to live a natural life. He called you to live a supernatural life. Amen? Amen. So supernatural that he had to remind us, with man, this is impossible. But with God, anything is possible. That means that when times of natural, destructive dissolution come, God has supernatural creative solutions in store, okay? When God is knocking on everyone's door, God is trying to be in everyone's lives. He's closer to you than you think at all times, even if you don't believe in him. Now, he's not like Tinkerbell, okay? Tinkerbell in, in Peter Pan will die 
if no one is left believing in her. That's why you have to clap your hands. And then Tinkerbell comes back and she has power in your life. But with God, it doesn't matter whether you believe or not, or if you're struggling with doubt in your walk of faith, he isn't affected by that. He's not like Tinkerbell. He's, he's with you no matter what. He's following your every move and he's working in your life, whether you know it or not. He's there in every trouble and he's there in every comfort. He's there in every twist and turn, the hard corners and the soft landings. So when a time of natural, destructive dissolution comes in your life, that's when it's best to try to get to know what your supernatural God and his supernatural ways have in store for you because he's prepared supernatural creative solutions, okay? So in this story of the woman caught in adultery, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were preparing a natural destructive dissolution for her. And they pointed to the law and they said, we caught this woman red-handed. She said she was caught in adultery. We don't have to use too much imagination to know exactly what that means, but she was caught. The law says that she must be stoned to death. It says they wanted to test Jesus and they wanted to catch him in a bad call, right? So that they could call him a false teacher or some kind of heretic, whatever, something like that. They knew Jesus's reputation. They knew he was preaching about forgiveness. They probably thought he'd defend her, right? And then they'd be able to corner him and say, she's not innocent, she's guilty. You are endorsing sinful behavior. You don't care about justice. You're a false teacher. On the other hand, if he said she's guilty, she should suffer the punishment, stone her. She'd forever be associated with the death, the execution of a woman. And I don't think that would be a, a good optic for someone called the Prince of Peace, right? These were the obvious choices that they thought they put before Jesus. These were the natural destructive dissolutions that the scribes and Pharisees hoped to trap Jesus in, okay? But Jesus didn't choose door one, he didn't choose door two. Instead, he does something interesting. He bends down, he bends down. What does that teach us? He doesn't rise up, he doesn't escalate, he de-escalates. He de-escalates. He bends down and he de-escalates. That shows you that next time someone's trying to get a rise out of you, a rise out of you, remember Jesus' example. Bend down. De-escalate. And bending down, bless you. Bending down is not just a symbol of de-escalation, is it? It's also what we do when we pray. It's a symbol of prayer. Kneeling before the throne, bringing the issue to God. In a conflict situation, that's one of the first steps for a supernatural, creative solution. And Jesus does something else while he's bent down. He writes on the ground with his finger, right? But people wonder what the significance is of that. That's one of the great questions. Well, everyone else in that story had their fingers busy with something, right? They're pointing them. They're pointing them. They're busy pointing fingers. So when everyone else is busy pointing fingers, the lesson of this story is make sure your finger is busy doing something else. Jesus was writing in the ground, amen? Amen. Well, 
The Pharisees also didn't like being ignored like this. Jesus was just stooped down, writing in the ground, and they pestered him. They came here to trap him. They needed a reaction from him. They needed the sound bite, right? Finally, he stands up and he says, let he who is out sin cast the first stone. Then he bends over and starts writing on the ground again. Mic drop. When they heard this, it says they all went away one by one, starting with the oldest. And we can assume that the oldest one had the longest life and therefore the most sins and maybe perhaps the most humility to admit, this should not be my job, okay? But they all went away one by one as individuals, not a group. They came as a mob. They left as individuals. They made internal decisions one at a time humbled and walked away of their own accord, one at a time. Jesus dissolved the herd mentality with that question, with that statement. He dissolved groupthink. They were his opponents, but he actually taught them. He became their teacher. They obeyed his authority because he taught them to think for themselves. And they made their own individual decisions. And they took ownership of their actions and they decided this is not an action we want to take because it would be on my conscience and you can't, you can't blame the crowd, right? Each one of us is responsible for our own decisions and by de-escalating and by minimizing his role in their conflict, Jesus was teaching them about personal responsibility and by bringing up their sins, he was pointing out the, the hypocrisy of sinners condemning sinners, right? He was exposing their self-righteousness but he was also who's also exposing their disobedience. Because it wasn't just what he said that spoke volumes. It's also what he did. Because remember, he bent back down after saying those words, and he started writing in the ground with his finger again. Now, what does that mean? It's the second time he wrote in the ground with his finger. Why did John, who wrote the gospel, why did he think that was important enough to mention? Well, there's another meaning to this two counts of finger writing that probably would have been familiar to the scribes and Pharisees and a bit frightening too because there's only one other place where the finger of God is involved with writing something in the earth twice. And we just read the story, okay? The man writing in the ground was not just a man. It was the Lord himself. That was the finger of God writing in the earth. What else did the finger of God write? The law, the law that they were, were using to accuse this woman. And he did it twice, okay? And it had to be written twice because the first time Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the tablets of the law, the Israelites were disobedient. They're worshiping the golden calf. And so Moses smashed the tablets to bits and God was wroth. He was ready to destroy him everyone. But Moses, uh, Moses pleads with God, and he says, please have mercy. Please have mercy. Just give us another chance. Don't destroy us completely. And so God, in his mercy, in his mercy, relents from destroying them. But the second time around, he made Moses chisel the law by hand, like a concession, because God would not touch the earth himself. Okay? Now, Jesus, in writing with his finger, was reminding them what happens when you disobey the law written by the finger of God. 
It's a nasty, nasty business if you read through Exodus. Uh, in writing a second time with his finger, touching the earth a second time, he was illustrating mercy. And he was implying a warning. If you quit with this disobedience while you're ahead, you can avoid what your ancestors at Sinai did not. Okay? And he was also reminding them that even the law, which had these punishments that they were trying to, to pull off, um, written not with the finger of God, even the law that was written with the chisel of Moses the second time, which had punishments for sin, that was born of mercy. Okay? That came from mercy. They wouldn't have that law to refer to if God hadn't first been merciful enough to give them a second chance. This is to show that there's no law and therefore no justice if not for God's mercy. Mercy comes first. Amen? Amen. Jesus is saying, don't come to this table looking for justice without first looking for mercy in your heart. Without mercy, there is no justice. Now, in saying and doing all these simple things, Jesus didn't just teach his, his opponents a humiliating lesson. More importantly, he saved a woman's life. The law said that she could and should die for what she was caught doing. Caught doing. That would have and technically should have been the natural course of things, the natural destructive dissolution, okay? Instead, the finger of God intervened with a supernatural creative solution. And watch what happens next. Jesus says, where did your accusers go? Is there no one left to condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. Then neither do I condemn you, he says. Go and sin no more, okay? This is what we call getting off with a warning, okay? And she calls him Lord. She calls him Lord because he's the Lord of heaven and earth. It was his finger that wrote the law that she broke. And yet he took no offense at it. He took no offense. He said, neither do I condemn you. These are the words of the only man in the bunch who was without sin, who could have cast that first stone if he wanted to. He didn't. Instead, he saved her and he called her to repentance and he opened the way for her to have a new life. So instead of a natural, destructive dissolution, he gave her a supernatural, creative solution. So creative that he literally created a new life in her. And this is what God has done for all of us. Amen? Amen. While the law of Moses and every other law of man says that your bad works will destroy you and only your good works will save you, the grace of Jesus Christ says you will be saved from your bad works unto good. Unto good. So when the cycle of life brings a conflict, you don't want to be coming to the table like the scribes and Pharisees. They wanted justice but forgot mercy. They came calling for that natural, destructive dissolution. But true justice, it's not about punishment. It's born of mercy. As the story of the Israelites in the desert shows us, if, if justice isn't about saving people, then it's self-righteous. If it's only about condemning others, then it's disobedient to our creator. In short, if it's hypocritical justice, it's, it, it's something that people need to be saved from. Just like the woman caught in adultery in this story. And the Bible tells us that that is the way of the world. The world 
natural destructive dissolution, cycles of solution and dissolution in our natural ways. But in Christ alone, we have the supernatural creative solution. We have mercy, we have love. Love covers a multitude of sins. It's not just about coming to the table because the table of the world has the bread of adversity, the water of affliction, the wine of wrath. But the table of the Lord has the bread of life, the water of life, and the wine of the new covenant, the blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And there's nothing more supernatural than love and nothing more supernatural than forgiveness. It took an act of God to accomplish forgiveness for all of mankind. It took an act of God to accomplish forgiveness. There's nothing more supernatural than mercy and love because God is love and there's nothing more supernatural than God himself. And there's nothing super, more supernatural than the God of love who revealed himself fully in Christ on the cross who died that the, the, the very divine bonds of humanity would not be broken by sin, but healed and bound together by the forgiveness of sins, by love, by the ministry of reconciliation that's been given to us. So next time you see a natural destructive dissolution occurring, remind yourself what Jesus died and was raised in order to testify to all mankind. There is always, there is always a creative solution, a supernatural creative solution. And your job as Christians, as witnesses of this testimony, is to bend down and seek the intervention of the finger of God and be a co-creator in his supernatural creative solutions. Amen? Amen. And that's all she wrote. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit WorkmanSong.com.